Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, uh, we're going to start in December with this episode. We're going to talk about salvation because as we come to celebrate uh, our Lord's, you know, death, burial, and resurrection, um, it is really important to reflect on this. So I've, I've held back some questions as I usually do for this time of year. And so our first question for this month is, what is propitiation? Well, propitiation, it means averting the wrath of God by the offering of a gift. It refers to the turning away of the wrath of God as a just judgment of our sin by God's own provision of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Although some object to propitiation as a pagan notion of appeasing an irascible deity with bribes and gifts, yet the idea in the Bible of propitiation is very different. Because of our sin and our rebellion against God, our original communion with God has been disrupted, and our persons and our lives deserve judgment. The wrath of God in the scripture is the expression of his holiness in the face of our sin. Wrath is what our sin and rebellion justly deserve. And even though God is a God of infinite love, he does not show mercy at the expense of his justice. And so propitiation is the way that the loving God shows us mercy justly. And in scripture, propitiation is not something that we provide to get God to get right with him again. It is something that God provides to us so that we may be justly and mercifully forgiven and accepted by him. And he does this at his own expense through the loving gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And nor is Jesus on the cross as our propitiation trying to get his angry father to love us. Nah, not at all. He is on the cross because the father has loved us before the foundation of the world and has given him as the expression of his love. Christ's death is a means for his saving purposes to be the propitiation we need in order to be reconciled to God. In other words, what God requires, God provides to us in Christ. And Christ willingly undertakes his work as a propitiator, the one who offers the gift of propitiation and propitiation, the gift of propitiation itself. He is by his own choice and for our sake, priest and sacrifice, mediator and gift. Now, propitiation, it refers to the turning away of the wrath of God as the just judgment of our sin by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Kevin DeYoung says propitiation is used in the New Testament to describe the pacifying, the placating, or the appeasing of God's wrath. And so the idea of propitiation, it's unpopular in our own time for two reasons. First, it is inherently entails the idea of God's wrath. And secondly, the corresponding idea of mollifying that wrath. It is objected that these ideas are sub-Christian and pagan. The 20th century New Testament scholar C.H. Dodd, for instance, famously objected to both of these ideas, claiming that the God of the, the idea of God's wrath in the scripture is an impersonal process or cause and effect. We sin and therefore there are consequences. And God simply leaves us, in his own words, to stew in our own juices, C.H. Dodd says. 
Now, Dodd also argued that in the Bible, the word uh, group helisterian and helsamas does not mean propitiation to appease God's wrath, but rather expiation to cover our sin. But the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church admits the general meaning of the word is the appeasing of the wrath of the deity by prayer or sacrifice when a sin or offense has been committed against him. The word occurs three times in connection with the death of Christ. In Romans 3.25, 1 John 2.2, and 1 John 4.10, and Hebrews 2.17. And such a translation accurately represents the meaning in the classical Greek use of the words helisterian and helisimos. And while it's easy to caricature the biblical teaching of propitiation, an irascible deity throwing a temper tantrum and demanding that we come up with some sort of sacrifice to appease him, which of course does not uh, indeed happen in paganism, the actual teaching of scripture is nothing like that. Now, before we look at some key passages, let's consider four large picture issues. First, in Scripture, God's wrath is about His righteousness, His justice, His holiness. It is an expression of His perfect holy nature in the just indictment of serious human sin and moral depravity. And so people destroy other people's lives and their their own by sin. God is not indifferent to that. His wrath is His righteous response. He hates sin, and rightly so. And in the Bible, God is always the one who provides the sacrifice, the propitiation that we need. People do not come up with a strategy to manipulate and place God, placate God with a sacrifice of our own choosing. In love, God provided uh, to us and for us precisely what his own justice demands so that his righteous wrath is addressed and his mercy to us is just. Now, the background for propitiation is seen in the Old Testament coven- covenant ceremonies and in the sacrificial system itself. The bloodshed in those rites represented what sin deserved. And when God ratified his covenant with Abram in Genesis 15, animals were slaughtered as part of an oath of self-malediction, uh, calling down a curse upon oneself if one is unfaithful. The, the slaughtered animals represented what unfaithfulness deserved, death. And in the Mosaic sacrificial system, God exclaims in Leviticus 17.11, I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. That is, God, knowing that his people would sin and break his law and love and grace, provided blood sacrifice in order to turn away his just judgment from falling on them, assured his continued fellowship with them, and covered their sin into sight. Fourth, in the New Testament, especially the book of Hebrews, it is made clear that Jesus is the real sacrifice. The Old Testament animal sacrifices were ineffectual. They couldn't help man with their sin. They could not quit God's wrath or, or provide pardon for sin. That's why Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Hebrews 10.12 says, But Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. So both the propitiation of God's righteous wrath and expiation, covering of our sins, are part of Jesus' substitutionary sacrificial death on the cross. Now, with these in mind, let's take a look at four biblical texts. Uh, that is, we're going to look at he- uh, Romans 3.25, we're going to look at Hebrews 2.17, we're going to look at 1 John 2.22, and 1 John 4.10. And each is going to confirm that helisterion should be understood as a propitiation while correcting misunderstandings of the significance of this term. 
So first, let's look at Romans 3, 24 and 25. Now, in this passage, Paul is explaining the glorious truth of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And he speaks of Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that is, helisterian, by his blood to be received by faith. Notice, we did not put forward Jesus to be... To, to, uh, let me start over there. Notice, we did not put forward Jesus to God to turn away his wrath. God put forth Jesus to provide a propitiation. Our sins deserve God's wrath, but he gave Jesus as a propitiation, a sacrifice, turning away his wrath and appeasing his just indignation. All we do is receive it by faith in Christ alone. God publicly displayed his own dear son as a blood sacrifice to turn away, to quit, and to satisfy his own just indignation with sin, the benefits of which are received by faith in Christ alone. This stunning action demonstrates God's righteousness in his mercy. It also shows how he can be patient and forbearing forbearing without compromising his justice. It shows how he was able to pass over the sins of his people in the Old Testament and why he was able to allow the sins of the Gentiles to go on without the immediate uh, final divine judgment and still be perfectly righteous. Now let's look at Hebrews 2.17, which says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation, for the sins of the people. And here again, that, that priestly saving work of Christ is depicted as propitiation, which the ESV Study Bible says, uh, conveys the sense of an atoning sacrifice that puts away sin and satisfies the wrath of God. Kent Hughes provides a powerful explanation of how all this works in his commentary on Hebrews 2 when he says this, when people sin, they arouse the wrath of God and become enemies of God. The Old and the New Testaments reveal a utterly holy God whose holy nature demands wrath against all sin. Wrath is the reverse side of his holiness. God cannot set aside his wrath towards our sin and remain holy. And that is where the propitiating love of God comes in. To obtain our salvation for us, God himself met the demands of his holiness in Christ, which because of the oneness of the Trinity means he met the demands of his holiness himself. And so he has, in a manner of speaking, propitiated himself in our place. And thus we see, according to Hughes, God through Christ, our priestly propitiator, has done everything for us. Paul speaks of this in Romans 3, 24 and 25, where he describes believers as being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. That is, Christ, our perfect priestly propitiator, saved us in a way that kept God's holiness, indeed Christ's holiness, intact. Revelation speaks of his righteous wrath as a wrath of the Lamb in Revelation 6.16. And what love this perfect priest had for the storm-tossed church. They were in deep waters, but they were not under God's wrath, nor would they ever be again. Their troubled, their troubled hearts rejoiced that Christ, their priest, loved them so much that he propitiated his own terrible wrath for them. Such a priest would do anything and everything uh, consonant with his loving nature to meet their needs. We must never be fooled or disbelieve this, no matter how high the waters rise. That's uh, that's those were those last words were from Kent Hughes. Now, First John two two tells us this. In this beautiful passage, John says this about 
Jesus Christ, our advocate. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, John is pointing us to the person and work of Christ as the source of our strength and hope and the ultimate victory over sin. In verses one through two, he specifies three aspects of Christ's person and work. Jesus, our advocate, Jesus as righteous, Jesus as propitiation. And it's vital to understand that the picture is not Jesus pleading with the Father to be loving and merciful to us. Jesus is not trying to get God to love his people. Rather, he is the provision of the loving Father so he can love his people with his perfect rectitude and justice. Finley writes, The case is not that of love pleading with justice, but justice pleading with love for our pardon. But what we want to concentrate is in 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation, the hilosomos, for our sin. So again, let me remind you, to propitiate, it means to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. That is to turn away God's wrath or to offer a sacrifice that appeases God's just judgment and righteous anger against us and our sin. And notice, Jesus is not simply the propitiator, but the propitiation. He is what satisfies the justice of God. The term points to Jesus as the covenantal sacrifice and to what the effect of his death was, what it effectively, not just potentially, accomplished. And what John is teaching us here is he's doing so to help us understand that Christ's person and work are one, the ground of our fight against sin, and two, the source from which our holiness flows, and third, the basis on which our forgiveness rests. And so as a result, those who trust in Christ alone are not frozen or even paralyzed in their admission of their sin or hopelessness in the fight against it. Christians are able to deal realistically and even hopefully with sin because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus does and what he has finished. He is the advocate. He is righteous. He is the propitiation for his people. 1 John 4.12 And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the helisamian, for our sins. And here, John, like Paul in Romans 3.25, he makes it clear that God in love provides his son as a propitiation we need. The Christian doctrine of propitiation is not that of trying to get God to love and to forgive us by placating himself by a sacrifice that we take the initiative to bring to him. Not at all. Instead, God takes the initiative towards us in love, even though we have betrayed him and have rebelled against him and provides for us precisely the propitiation we need. It is another John 3.16-like passage. John's argument in verses 9 through 11 is that God has shown the world his love in sending his own son on a deadly mission to give us life. And God's love for us is supremely manifested in the cross Christ as, as Jesus provides propitiation from. And in response, we ought to love one another in this kind of costly self-giving way. In other words, John's pastoral application of the truth of propitiation is that the measure of how we are to love one another is in the self-giving of the Father and the gift of His Son. Well, friends, this really matters because even as recently as about, I think about a decade ago, if I remember, there was there's this whole, maybe a little bit more than a decade actually, there, there was this whole movement and one of its leaders, Steve Chalk, said that what we just talked about today is cosmic child abuse. But as we've seen, without this understanding, there would have been no forgiveness of sins. 
This is not all that we're going to talk about this month, but it is so important to understand that when you see the word propitiation in the Bible, it has a meaning. And that meaning is intended to help you to understand more of the person and the work of Christ who paid the penalty in our place and for our sin. As I said, this whole month, we're going to be talking about the person and work of Christ, specifically the death of Christ and doctrines related to it. So I hope that this episode has been helpful. It equips you to understand when you see the word propitiation of the Bible, here's what it means. Here's why it's there and uh, and more. So I want to thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.